Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things shall be accomplished which were written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man. And the Lord said to Abram, Come into the land I shall show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation and bless thee. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. That second quote is from the lessons in today's Office of Matins, of the Divine Office. We see in the scriptures, of course, in the history of the world, that after creation, eventually man began to fall away from God. And finally, when it got at its worst and the world was at its darkest, God was left with no choice but to start all things new again. He chose for this method to wipe out mankind from the face of the earth by means of the flood. Man was to be sacrificed, yet there were still a few faithful. And it was with these, particularly Noah, that faithful servant, which man was begun again after the flood. With the Matid's lesson, we see the fruits of the fresh start that began at the time of Noah. These two only last for so long. And again, the folly of man takes hold, and the darkness from without encroaches in. And this time, that falling away from God has become even more stark and more dark. Because now man has added a new iniquity to his offenses, something that didn't exist before the flood. Now man has added to his faithfulness, faithlessness, the sin of idolatry. And so as we see with the Matins lesson, it is time again for God to start anew. And again, he finds himself one who is faithful, the faithful servant of Abraham. And with him, he will start it. But this time, instead of destroying all life, now our Lord chooses a new path, and instead, he raises Abraham up. He raises him up to begin anew and a chosen race of people. He sets aside for Abraham a new promised land that this race may occupy. And the chosen race and the holy land, they are set aside for a very specific purpose. They are meant to ensure that the eternal truths of God are preserved. And in order to have a line to which one day man's redemption, the promised Messiah, will be born into and be able to be recognized by those who expect him. Abraham, when he is called, he faithfully answers the call. He leaves behind his home. He leaves his old life in the past. And there he heads out to where God calls him to go, and arriving at that promised land, 
and being described the borders that they are to, to extend to, he immediately turns and does what is holy and pious. He erects at the, at the western and the eastern borders of that land two altars, and he begins to praise the goodness of God and offer sacrifice in his honor. Through the centuries, the Lord preserves the Hebrews. When they are faithful to him, he protects and he guides them. He preserves their land. He raises up amongst their people prophets, and he works great miracles on their behalf. But at times, again, darkness encroaches on, and they begin to turn away from God from time to time again. And with each offense, again, God finds himself in need to correct. He punishes them. He brings them to bondage and exile. Soon he forces them to labor under the burden of a heavy yoke of the, of the increasing laws that they must follow in their lives. But still, the darkness encroaches, and eventually they find themselves almost completely overtaken by it. Their land is now governed by Gentiles. Their king is usurped by a foreigner. And false holy men, the Pharisees, they occupy positions of power and they corrupt the faith. Yet in all of this, there are still some who are faithful that persevere and preserve the eternal truths that have been passed down, that strive to live a just life. But these are, relatively speaking, few. And as a whole, the darkness of sin, unfaithfulness, and idolatry has taken over again. And so we find our Lord again raising up another faithful servant, this time a woman, Mary. And it's from her that the promised Messiah is to be born into the world when it needs him most. He is to come and he is to make all things new again. Christ is born, and then he comes and fulfills all of the prophecies which have been foretold about him. He again returns and begins to teach those eternal truths. He corrects the errors of man in his fallen ways. He perfects what has been passed down. And so we find ourselves at the gospel of today's Mass. And we realize that with all of this being fulfilled, there are a few prophecies left. It is time again for the altar of sacrifice to be erected. But this sacrifice, it is not a sacrifice of sinful mankind as in the times of Noah nor is it of simple beasts, of that of Abraham. It is not a sacrifice which merely satisfies righteous divine anger, but it is now the perfect sacrifice. 
It is the sacrifice of God himself. And it is itself sufficient to satisfy and remit man of all his sins. And what's more, this sacrifice does even greater things. It returns grace to man's soul. And now, God has a new chosen people to be set aside for the same very purpose, the preservation of the eternal truths, and to provide access for these people to a new promised holy land. However, this chosen people and the new holy land, these are different than they were before. The chosen people are no longer a chosen people of race. That race has betrayed him, and they are left aside. Now the chosen people are a chosen people marked out by their faith. And the body which is to carry on these internal truths, it is the church which Christ himself erects, the Catholic Church. And the promised land that is promised to each who is faithful is no longer a temporal land. No, much greater is the kingdom that belongs to these chosen people. It is the kingdom of heaven, their new eternal home. And so it has been for 2,000 years, the vessel of truth, the ark of salvation. It has ensured that these truths which have been given to us by Christ himself and passed on and taught by the apostles and all of their successors. These stay strong. These are preserved and guarded against the times of the strongest of oppositions. And that the faithful who persevere their souls are carried to safe harbor, no matter how bloody and strong the persecution may rise against them. But man is man, and darkness, again, creeps in, and it encroaches as time goes on and generation passes, and the number of those who turn away from God and his truth turn instead to that darkness of sin and idolatry and faithlessness it grows again larger. And then we are here. We find ourselves again in familiar circumstances based in history. There are false claimants in the positions of power. Our head, supposed head, again is usurped by a stranger, one estranged from God and truth, and a relatively few, by comparison to the whole, hold fast to the truth and goodness that has been passed on by God. We have sinned once again, and we witness that punishment for our sins. However, Things are never meant to look bleak. There is a God after all, and he is good. We know 
that that God, he never abandons his truth. We know that the, those who remain faithful servants to him, they are always, they're captured in his eye. They are always drawn ever closer to his heart. He remains always by their side. And to be included amongst this number whom we consider strong and faithful by our Lord, it is necessary for us to be marked by the very same characteristics as those whom God has preserved before us. Garanger, in the liturgical year, he points these marks out as this. The characteristics are fidelity to God, submissiveness to his commands, an abandonment and sacrifice of everything to obey his holy will. Our faith and trusting God, it has to be strong. It has to be unwavering. It has to always be before us. We must preserve it and stand strong beside it as people attack it. We cannot let ourselves abandoned truth in favor of corrupted arguments passed along by so-called enlightened modern man. We cannot let the truths of God be watered down. We cannot think of them as unimportant. They are worth fighting for. And to go along with that, we are the ones who have to stay strong and stand for morality in the world. The morality that is part of that everlasting truth, that rule of morals, it never changes. We cannot allow that to become relative in our lives. We can't look to things and how bad they are in the world and make our assessment of what is morally right and good based upon comparison to what surrounds us. We can't watch a movie and say, well, it's not really a good movie, but in comparison to most that are out there, it's far better. We cannot watch a television program and assume to ourselves, well, there's just some temptation in it and I'm not going to worry too much about it because most programs are far worse. We can't approach our dress and assume to ourselves, well, it doesn't exactly live up to the standards as Catholic proper modest attire is, but you know what? Everybody else seems to dress far worse than I. We cannot corrupt ourselves in this way. It's easy to look upon to somebody else and say, look how they fail in that way, but it must be applied to ourselves first and foremost. The standard must be highest in its application to me. And it must be I who look inwardly and strive to lead by that good example of what it means to stand by and serve God. Beyond this stalwartness in truth, we too must express this in our daily lives back to God. It must be to us 
to set aside time to search him out and honor him and speak to him in prayer. We must be faithful to the things of devotion and the things of worship. We must find that time for quiet so that we can examine our conscience and that we may meditate upon those truths that have been given to us. To take time and study the very faith that we profess itself so its depths may be better explored and understood and its roots more firmly held in our hearts. And this faith and this it must be strengthened in our souls by the gifts that come from heaven itself, availing ourselves of regular reception of the sacraments, the ordinary means of salvation, the inexhaustible wellspring of graces to our souls. And moreover, we add to that a search for sacrifice. First and foremost, availing ourselves of the ultimate sacrifice of the altar, our heavenly treasure, whenever possible, and adding to it our own offerings, those which come and allow us to unite body and spirit and heart together to be a perfect offering to our Lord. These little gifts that we give, those times when we can offer up comfort, mortify the flesh, or practice virtue, or perform duties to the greatest perfection we can. These offerings, which especially we look to during Lent, these things may be small themselves, but they are treasured by God and his grace returned to us multiple fold. And so with Lent approaching, it is the time for us to realize steps of growth that we can be, can be made in order for us to be continually those faithful servants of Almighty God. We look to see these marks these characteristics that set us out to be recognized before him as his faithful. And with Lent, we remind ourselves it begins with a mark, a mark of ashes upon our foreheads, a reminder that all things in this life are temporary, and a reminder that it is that promised land of eternal life that we seek after. And so we abandon all, and we sacrifice what we can, and we give with a generous heart back to God. Because by that, we continue our voyage on that ark of salvation. And we better preserve that body of eternal truths. And all of this is our guide to that promised land. May God bless you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.